What's up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast, where I'm joined by Matthew Tuttle. We go into current market conditions, what he's seeing out there in the market, AI and the disruption, and much, much more. So tune in for another action-packed episode. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, this is not financial advice. Everything you hear in this podcast is strictly for entertainment purposes only and should not be taken as financial advice. Now, let's get into the episode. Whoosh. All right. I am back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast. And before we get started, I want to let you know that I got a very special guest here in the green room writing for me. We're going to go over the overall macro environment, the global, uh, you know, how that's kind of global landscape is shaping up how markets are reacting, and much, much more. So stay tuned for that. But first, big shout out to my sponsor. I got Idaho Armored Vaults. They're at goldsilvervault.com. You can check out Idaho Armored Vaults there. They were founded in 2008 with the goal to help you protect your financial assets and give you access to private property outside of the financial system in the precious metals market. So they're uniquely vertically integrated uh, they have a great structure, procures, transports, stores, provides extensive liquidity using precious metals. So go ahead and give Bob and the team a phone call or hit or visit their website at goldsilvervault.com and tell them Green Candle sent you. All right. Now let's get into the episode with Matthew. Matthew, how you doing today, man? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm powering through. You know, it's uh, it's a Friday before Memorial Day weekend. So um yeah, before uh, before we get started, why don't you tell everybody in the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, yeah, what, what got you to where you're at today? Sure. So I run a firm called Tuttle Capital Management. We're an ETF issuer. Um, you know, we do a lot of different things in the ETF space, but, you know, kind of my passion is designing tools for retail investors um, and then helping educate them. So I've been on Wall Street for a long time, started off in financial services in 1991, you know, been trading my own account since the mid 80s. And, you know, one thing that I've really noticed throughout the years is, you know, Wall Street tends to be unkind to people who, you know, aren't educated about finances. So, you know, we write a daily newsletter, try to do a lot of education over social media, and again, provide products that are, you know, either tools or, or standalone vehicles for retail guys. So we did the first, uh, you know, actively managed SPAC ETF back when SPACs were hot. We were the guys who created SARC, the anti, you know, ARC ETF, when, you know, we saw that the market was likely to, to sell off a bit uh, or more than a bit. Um, and we're the guys, you know, we, we were involved in the launch of the first single stock ETFs in the U.S. And we also did S-Gym and L-Gym, you know, long Jim Cramer, short Jim Cramer. So we do a lot of stuff like that. And I've got a huge amount of stuff in the pipeline. So a lot more ETFs coming this year. 
that's awesome. But first, I you, you said something there that's kind of interesting that I want to dive into a little bit more. You know, you said you provide tools for, um, you know, retail investors who are, you know, the market isn't really kind to people who don't understand finance. So, you know, I, I guess what do you mean by that? Is it more so like the com company balance sheets? Uh, is it kind of, you know, the, you know, just the general metrics like PE ratio? Like what kind of things are you? Uh, no. So I, I'm really talking more about financial services. So, you know, you've got a lot of people in financial services advising clients who, you know, aren't on the same side of the table from a compensation standpoint, um, you know, commissions and, and things of that nature. So you never really know, you know, do they have their best interests or your best interests? You've got, you know, a pervasiveness of buy and hold, shorting is bad, asset allocation, don't worry, you're a long-term investor, it's gonna come back. Um, and, you know, to me, that stuff is just plain stupid. Uh, you know, at the end of the day though, I mean, there are a lot of good advisors out there too. Problem is if you're not educated, you're not gonna know the difference. Um, you know, a lot of people who have amassed a lot of assets in this industry have done it because they're really good at what they do. And there's some who have done it because they're really good at sales. And, you know, I just, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, people are as educated as possible. So, you know what you're doing. I also want to make sure they're as educated as possible. So if they decide, you know, to do things on their own, they don't blow themselves up. Like, you know, I saw a lot of people do last year, which is unfortunate. Yeah. So that brings me to like the current macro environment, right? You've seen a lot of cycles, you know, get starting with your own personal portfolio in the eighties. And then, you know, obviously, you know, we've seen the dot-com boom 2008 and um, when what's going on now. So, you know, uh, it is kind of interesting, you know, at this point where we're seeing obviously the fed raise interest rates at a, you know, a skyrocketing pace. Um, and it seems like everybody's seemingly tracking that metric, you know, CPI and all that kind of stuff a little bit closely, uh, are closer now than, than they ever have. Um, so, you know, I'll leave it a little broad. Where is your kind of like overall view on the, the current macro environment and where do we stand today? This may very well be the craziest environment I've ever seen. So, you know, you've got a small group of stocks that have gone parabolic that make up a big part of the indexes. So when you look at the indexes, it looks like we're in this great bull market. Uh, you take them out of the indexes and I believe we're either down or flat for the year. And down or flat for the year from you know, a macro standpoint, if you said, you know, hey, Fed's raising rates, economic numbers are slowing, inflation's still pervasive, we've got a debt ceiling issue, uh, you know, are we going to have a soft landing? If you tell me all that stuff and say, hey, the market's flat to down a little, that's going to make sense to me. Like, OK, we had a bad down year last year. Now the market's waiting and seeing, you know, these stocks going parabolic doesn't. Uh, but I am a huge believer in the idea that you trade based on what you see, not based on what you think. So, you know, certainly you can have your thoughts in the background. And in the background, I'm bearish. You know, every time the S&P gets to 4,200, my inclination is to fade that instead of to, you know, go in buying. But, you know, I'm not one of those perma bears. I mean, you see it on Twitter all the time. 
you know, bearish, everything's bearish and you know, these guys have to be getting killed, you know? So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll buy the stocks that are going up. We'll buy them with the understanding that what's happening is not rational. And, you know, and, and I think it's a lot like what we saw in the dot-com bubble where you can make a lot of money on the upside. You don't want to be shorting that stuff. But you also got to be prepared. At some point, the music stops and you've got to get out and or get short. But, you know, you, you don't fight it while it is. I mean, you know, now we're sitting here, market's getting to 4,200. I'll probably, you know, add a little bit more short exposure because, you know, you've still got sectors that are eminently shortable. Regional banks, commercial real estate, private equity, consumer staples, um, we just started shorting medical devices. Um, I missed utilities, but, you know, hopefully I'll get another shot at those. So th there's a lot of places to short, but I'm not going to short Apple, NVIDIA, Microsoft, all those guys. That, I mean, that's just asking to get your ass kicked. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, you kind of lined it out too. like, I, I kind of have a similar theory as you, at least from what it seems like the brief uh, explanation you have is like, the market hasn't exactly been rational. Uh, you know, there, it seems like there's a lot of cracks under the surface. You know, it seems like, you know, there's kind of two camps when it comes to the re recession, right? The people that are looking, you know, backwards, looking at the data, they're generally saying that, you know, we're not in a recession yet based on previous metrics and kind of like, you know, what we're seeing uh, on this data that, you know, obviously is backward looking. But, you know, there's also the camp that thinks we're either in a recession or we're going to be in a recession by looking forward and seeing, you know, one, like student loan debt is still hasn't been open for payments. Um, you know, two, obviously the regional banks and, uh, you know, commercial real estate that you lined out a little bit earlier uh, have not been performing very well, to say the very least. Right. Obviously, the big, big bank failures and other things like that. But um, so I guess, you know, because the market isn't being rational, um, you know, and it seems like Jerome Powell is going to be in the camp of higher for longer. You know, obviously, Volcker was kind of his. Uh, I guess, I, I don't know if you want to say if the right word is idle or what, but he's kind of basing his strategy off of, you know, what Volcker did previously, which is, you know, raise, raise, raise. So, you know, with commercial banks and real estates hurting, like, well, where do you see our commercial uh, real estate and regional banks hurting? Like, where do you kind of see us see us going from here? I know you said, like, you know, the market, the way it's reacting is kind of irrational at this point, but it doesn't seem like the overall economy has kind of, I guess, you know, the, the general consumer hasn't really felt that pain just yet. So I guess like, you know, in, in your, uh, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, like in your theory, like where, where do you kind of see it going? Do you think the consumer is going to be resilient enough to, I guess, hold this off or uh, are we in for some pain ahead? So I think we're in for some pain ahead. And, and I would argue the consumer is feeling it. You know, one of the other areas we've been aggressively shorting are, are the retail stocks. And, you know, and, and they've been getting their butt kicked the past couple of days, you know, because I think the consumer can't afford their stuff. Uh, so, you know, that that's been something we've noticed. What also worries me is you've got the guys who said inflation was transitory, who caused this problem with, you know, quantitative easing too long, you know, who are now we're saying, hey, fix it. And 
the problem also with the fix. So right now, I'm let's say you're you're poor or middle class. You can't afford food. You can't afford gas, but you've got a job. What the Fed is saying to you is either A, I'm going to raise interest rates. That's going to mean you can now afford food and gas, but you're going to lose your job. Or we're going to let the crisis going on in regional banks slow the economy, which will slow inflation, which means you'll be able to afford food and gas, but you're going to lose your job. To me, that's not a great trade-off. If I were in that spot, I'd say, you know what, Make things, let things stay too expensive and let me keep my job. Because the projections of where unemployment needs to get to for them to get down to that 2% inflation target, I mean, when you state it in terms of percentages, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. But when you realize that's millions of people being unemployed, I don't know, that's not how I would uh, would run things if I were Jerome Powell. So, you know, I, I think we have not yet seen what's going on in commercial real estate. I think you've got private equity stuff that at some point's got to get marked to market and that's going to get ugly. So my guess is it gets worse before it gets better. But again, you know, we're going to trade based on what we see. Um, you know, I don't recommend going in and just shorting everything with, with, you know, both fists in anticipation of things getting worse, but certainly be cognizant that, you know, all is not well out there. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, Powell's got a very tough job, but it seems like the theory that, you know, Powell's kind of playing under is like one, the, at least, you know, my interpretation is that like one, you know, fighting the, uh, you know, by raising interest rates as quickly as they're doing, the United States, their number one export is the U.S. dollar. So it's kind of tightening that offshore dollar market in a sense, weakening everybody else a little bit faster than it's weakening us. Um, so, you know, obviously we've had like kind of this global economy where everything's been connected. My theory is, is that we're going to kind of move to more of, a, you know, I, I guess like nationalistic perspective where you know more countries are going to have to be more self-sustained there might not be as much global trade or reliance on other countries because we've seen what's what's happened with russia and, and other things like that so um but you know it's, it's also like all right well we're still going to feel the pain in the united states and there's going to be a lot of pressure whether it's from you know the current administration or from you know outside voices as the u.s has the global you know reserve currency as it stands right now so um, in a sense, you know, you said if you were to be, I guess, in Powell's shoes, you wouldn't be necessarily doing it the same way he's doing it. So what what uh, I guess would would have been your method or, um, you know, uh, I guess Monday morning quarterback right now? Uh, yeah. And yeah. And above my pay grade, luckily. But, you know, certainly would not have kept rates artificially low for as long as they did wouldn't have been doing quantitative easing when everything was fine. Um, and, you know, sort of interested to see what would happen in a world where the market decided interest rates. And, you know, maybe the Fed was a lot more hands off and just kind of came in, you know, if there was a crisis, you know, a Lehman Brothers moment or something like that, where you know, all of a sudden the mechanisms of the free market break and, and they've got to step in. But, you know, all things being equal, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in the free market. But, yeah, having 
somebody there just in case the free market breaks, which, you know, which it can do and in which it's done. So, yeah, I, I would like them to stay out of things as much as possible. I also don't like the idea of Fed speakers. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm trading all day, every day. And, you know, now you've got to trade around the Fed speakers. So, you know, hey, I, I want to buy this or I want to short this. But, oh, you know what? So-and-so is coming out at 11 o'clock. Let's wait because they may say something that, you know, is totally the opposite of, you know, what the guy at 930 said. You know, if you're going to be around and do your thing, do your thing, do your meeting, have your press conference and shut up. Yeah, and I, and I like that. Uh, I like that kind of saying, too, because it makes it difficult, um, you know, and it seems like the market is very reactionary on all the kind of macro events that comes out, whether it's, you know, a Fed speaker, the CPI print, uh, something happens at 2.30 in the afternoon, you'll see giant swings, whether it's, uh, you know, dovish, hawkish, or whatever bull, uh, bird metaphor you want to use. So, uh, you know, in your in your sense, because of, you know, I guess the spread of information now, whether it's Twitter or, you know, Reddit, like Wall Street Bets obviously got really popular with the GameStop boom and everything like that. Do you think that it's more because of the spread, uh, the like speed of information and kind of how, you know, people are connecting and talking that way, like with the internet and social media and that kind of development? Or has this been something that's kind of been a, you know, a trend for a while and it's kind of just, I guess, more uh, like increased a little bit more now that market volatility is kind of, uh, I guess, a little bit more significant than it was maybe a decade ago. So, no, I, I, I think what's happened on social media since COVID has really changed everything. You know, the connectivity that people have, the groups of traders who, you know, maybe on their own aren't going to move the market. But, you know, now you have a, a whole discord group, you know, all getting in on the same play and then letting another discord group know, hey, guys, you know, we're doing this. And, you know, guys who have, you know, a million followers on Twitter saying, you know, we're into this. And, you know, then the zero DTEs. And then on the other side, you've got the institutional investors, the smart ones who see what's going on and they figure out ways to profit from it. And I really do think it has changed market structure, you know, entirely. And, you know, I, I, I don't see us going back. I mean, you know, retail guys now have more power than they've ever had. I mean, they're not going to want to give it back. I mean, you know, imagine an army of retail guys taking down a multi-billion dollar hedge fund. You know, if you had told me that 10 years ago, I was, that's, that's not possible. You know, they would just scoff at that. But, you know, and, you know, the zero DTE options and, you know, how that's impacted things. I think market structure has changed. And, you know, you, you've, you know if you're out there trading markets, you have to adapt to it. So, you know, like I said, I, I've never seen anything like this before. So I'm not going to apply the same rules I might have been trading with 10 years ago to this market. So in that, in that sense, like how has your approach kind of changed in a, in a sense because of that? I mean, I know you, you kind of lined out some of the ETFs you had, you know, like shorting Jim Cramer. It seems like that's kind of like, you know, a popular narrative on Twitter. Are you kind of, I guess, a little bit more plugged in? onto like, you know, what, what people are saying that in that sense to kind of see, you know, what, I guess, uh, the narrative is going around on, 
on social media, so to speak. Oh yeah. Kind of help. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I've got CNBC muted, so I, I don't listen to that. I'm, you know, every day I'm in front of three discords and Twitter and, you know, and, and I'm looking at that more than I'm looking well. And then, you know, like 40 charts, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to what's going on in the discords and Twitter, not what's going on on CNBC. Um, you know, that's my information flow. I, I do want to see what these guys are doing. Uh, you know, and, and my philosophy has changed. You know, I used to be much more into breakouts, momentum type of stuff. You know, now I'm not. You know, if I see something breaking out, not NVIDIA, but, you know, I see something, you know, something else breaking out, you know, my, my knee jerk is I want to find a spot to short it. I don't want to find a spot to buy it. Whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, I'd see something breaking out. I'd be like, all right, I want, I, I want to buy into that breakout. And, you know, I'm looking much more to buy things that are dipping into support. And my holding period is much shorter than it's ever been. Uh, you know, sometimes my holding period is, is a few minutes, couple hours. You know, I can't imagine beyond like an Apple or a Microsoft or something like that that I'm holding on to anything, you know, short or long for, you know, more than, more than a week. Yeah. And I mean, it seems like that's kind of like the, the narrative now, right. Is like things are a lot more, I guess, quickly moving in one way or the other. Um, so, I mean, has your approach in a sense, like just changed dramatically in that sense, because, you know, it, it seemed like the narrative for, you know, quite some time, you know, I was like learning about the stock market in the, the 2010 era uh, up to, to, to 2020. So everything I felt like I learned at that point uh, just kind of was thrown out the window when GME and all these other things were, were taking off. Um, but it seemed like the narrative there was like, all right, just you know, buy and hold the S&P 500 or whatever, uh, you know, index it is because, you know, it's going to go up eventually. And like, no matter what, what cost basis you buy, just dollar cost average in. But, you know, the methodology you're kind of describing now is like, hey, like you need to know when you can get in, when to get out and you need to be quick with those decisions. So do you think, I guess that's like, in a sense, like kind of the way forward or uh, I mean, obviously it's not financial advice or anything like that, but um, is that the way you're kind of approaching it now? So, yeah, the financial services industry is always going to tell you, you know, buy and hold an index fund, dollar cost average, you know, all of that stuff. And, and the reason is, A, they don't know any better. And, you know, B, they want you buying their stuff and they don't want you selling it. You know, I know as an ETF issuer, you know, it's great. Oh, you know, we just got 20 million into our fund today. That's awesome. And then three days from now, oh, we just got 20 million out. They hate that. So, you know, they're going to sit there and say, buy and hold, buy and hold, put more money in, don't take money out. And if you're sitting there at a loss, you're a long-term investor, it'll come back. That's going to always be, I've always thought that's stupid. I will continue to. Uh, but if you're someone who says, look, I want to see if I can do better, which, yeah, and which you don't have to because doing better is a lot of work which means a lot of education and spending time. And you know, if you're working nine to five and you know, stuff like that, I mean, yeah, just buy an index fund because you're going to end up blowing yourself up. But if you do want to do a lot better, you know, the narrative that I grew up with was trend following. 
momentum. Something starts being strong, you buy it and you ride it. And, you know, but the markets were different where, you know, you'd have the fidelities of the world start to get into something and you'd notice it start to pop. So you get into it and you ride it up as Fidelity and Vanguard and all those guys are, you know, buying more and more and more. And, you know, you see a lot of these kind of, you know, old time, you know, disciples of Stan Weinstein or Bill O'Neill show you charts from the 90s of, you know, hey, I bought Yahoo at three and wrote it up to 3000. And that's all awesome. I don't think that works right now. And so, you know, instead of trying to find something, you know, to buy in and ride it up for, you know, a thousand points, I, I'm, I'm just trying to make money, you know, trying to buy something. All right. It hits support. It starts to bounce up. Let's buy it. All right. We made 5% starting to curl down. I'm out of it. You know, so take profits where you can find profits and, you know, you're, probably not going to find those monster trades that people thought, you know, found in the nineties, you know, maybe the market will get back to that at some point, but right now, and another saying, I like to tell people trade the market you have, not the market you want. And the market you have is you got to take your profits when you got them. Yeah. And it, you know, that's funny because it, I, I, when I was learning about investing, you know, you always look back at like Warren Buffett, who is obviously one of the more famous, uh, you know, investors of all time. And his uh, like kind of corny rules was like rule one, make money. And then rule two, like see, see rule one. So, I mean, at, at any time you can make a profit, you're, you're doing pretty well. Right. I mean, um, you know, that, that's obviously the goal with this whole thing. So, um, but, but it does seem like there's a lot more, you know, obviously like waves in the market and other things like that. You know, you talked about like a lot of, uh, you know, potential short positions where, you know, uh, you know, the consumer, uh, regional banks, commercial real estate, all that kind of stuff is, is potentially hurting. But, you know, whenever there's a difficult economic time, it always seems like there's a sector or two or three or, or whatever, uh, that, that, you know, outperforms the market and seems to do well. Um, you know, you don't have to give us all the secret sauce or anything like that. But uh, do you see like any sector or anything that you're kind of keeping a close eye on that you think, you know, based on the underlying economic conditions, there might be something to some, some maybe a company or, or something like that to find where, you know, you, you kind of got your eye on that, that they might outperform just based on, you know, the circumstances. Yeah. And, and let me step back because you did say something important I want to hit. You know, you brought up Warren Buffett and, you know, and I grew up with Peter Lynch and people like to point to those guys and they had great success. The problem is they grew up in an environment without the Internet, where if you were smarter and worked harder, you could succeed. You could find information that nobody else knew. I don't think you can do that anymore. I mean, I've got a Bloomberg. I've got the Internet. You've got the Internet. I don't, I, I could work for hours and hours and hours. I don't think I'm going to find the one hidden gem that nobody else knows. So I don't think we're going to see another Warren Buffett or Peter Lynch. Um, now, you know, to your question, you know, there really isn't. This market is AI on the long side and pretty much short everything else. Um, we have at times this year been long the gold and silver miners. We're not right now. Uh, I am watching them very closely. 
for maybe an opportunity to get back in. You know, so that's one area. The oil stocks, I mean, I'm trying to be long the oil stocks. It's very difficult right now. Um, you know, if you put a gun to my head and said, Matt, you got to buy something other than AI, then I'd probably give you like an ExxonMobil or, you know, something something along those lines. But I, I'm, I'm not buying those things hand over fist. There really is nothing I'm seeing at the moment on the long side beyond the AI. You know, I've, I've got a colleague who likes to call it Fang and Friends. And, you know, that that that's pretty much all I would buy on the long side at, at this point. Um, and, you know, and be careful with it, especially as the market tests that 4,200 level again, because, you know, that hasn't been kind in the past. Yeah. So I'm, I'm much more focused on finding stuff on the short side at the moment. I gotcha. But you, you did bring up AI, which obviously is like a hot button topic these days, but uh, I'll tell you a little bit about, I guess, my potential thesis behind it. And I want to I want to hear what, what your thoughts on it. But I mean, obviously, we, we've just seen, you you know, we saw 2000, the dot com boom. And then, you know, early, uh, you know, or I guess late 2010s to early 2020s time. And we saw a lot of like these crypto companies kind of boom up and, uh, you know, pop off from there. Um, and, and, you know, of course, like a lot, a lot have failed since then. But, um, you know. Now, on top of that, it seems like we're kind of moving towards the AI boom, where any company that mentions AI in any sort of, you know, earnings call or you know, leaking that they're starting to work on AI or integrating AI into whatever business that they have, you know, seemingly is starting to take off. But obviously, there's going to be some winners and losers in that aspect and, and all that. So do you think that we're going to, I guess, kind of enter into, you know, seemingly another boom, but but you know, I guess it towards AI, or do you think this might be like, you know, maybe a little fad that, I mean, I know you said you're long, but uh, it seemed like it, it could be a, a potential fad where a lot of these companies, you know, invest a little bit into it, but realize like, Hey, this is a, a tall task to, to choose. So, you know, maybe they end up dropping that project down the line. So I think you got to be ready for every scenario. I don't think it's a fad because it's got the ability to change everything. You know, imagine a computer that can think faster than a worker, you know, how many in basically at a lower cost, you know, how many workers do you replace? What efficiency do you add? I, you know, I think you're going to see, you know, AI fundamentally change the entire landscape. And, you know, I think anyone who's, you know, younger in college needs to really start thinking about, you know, hey, this field I'm pursuing, you know, can a computer replace me and might want to rethink what they're trying to do? And, you know, in the money management field, I think any portfolio manager who's a closet indexer might want to, you know, start sending some resumes out. I, I really do think if, 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 companies can deliver on that promise, AI can fundamentally change the landscape. I think like the internet boom, you're going to have winners and you're going to have losers. I mean, you know, during the dot-com bubble, you had a lot of companies that ran up really, really high that are no longer with us. You had a lot of companies that you assumed would be the leaders who are no longer with us. Um, and, you know, the real leaders emerged 
And, you know, we're not going to know who those are right now. Um, but, yeah, I do think it's got the ability to fundamentally change things. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you there. Like, I think, you know, uh, as far as, like, technology goes, I mean, we're, we're seeing, like, a difficult environment for, uh, you know, smaller businesses, right? I mean, we're seeing, you know, $15 minimum wage kind of come up in, in a lot of areas. Um, so whether that's your view on whatever your view on it is, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, that's going to be raising the capital expenditures of, of any underlying business. So, you know, we're seeing companies like McDonald's try to automate, you know, certain stores and, and other things. So I think that's going to be a trend that, that continues, unfortunately. But, you know, what, what that kind of, I guess, like a tinfoil hat time to me, for me, it, it seems like that's going to require every single person to have either uh, a like higher qualifications or be like be, be more educated in order to, to get you know, the, the lower level jobs, um, which seems like it's kind of, uh, maybe, maybe it's doom and gloom. I don't know, but it seems like it would not make up well for, I guess, the younger generations in the, in the past. Um, or maybe they become more efficient. I don't know. But, you know, with the integration of that, do you see like there could be some potential, I guess, I guess, negative layover effects from it? Or do you think, I guess, you know, as humans, we'll just adapt to the times and just sort of figure it out in that sense. I, I mean, I, I think it's going to be tough. You know, there's going to be a lot of shifts in things. Again, there's a lot of professions that a thinking computer can replace. And, you know, you, you, you definitely got to be concerned about that. I think we will adapt, but I think there'll be growing pains, you know, depending on how quickly we get the integration of this. And yeah, you mentioned McDonald's. I remember, you know, probably six years ago up in Montreal, walking into a McDonald's looking for the person behind the counter to order and it was all machines. And I was just standing there looking at this saying, oh my God, I mean, th th this is going to change everything. You know, you don't need the person behind the counter anymore. I can efficiently punch into the machine, you know, give me my iced coffee. Here's how I want it. You know, that, you know, good or bad and good for some people and, and bad for others. But I mean, the future is the future. You can complain about it all you want, but, you know, we're all going to have to figure out how to adapt to it. Yeah, 100 percent. And yeah, I, I kind of like how you put that. You can complain all you want, but at the end of the day, you just got to deal with it at this point. Right. I mean, it's, it's happening before our eyes. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just something that, that we'll have to be in tune to. But you know, um, I kind of want to pivot to the topics now of like more of the bank failures and kind of, uh, you know, I guess uh, regional banking and, and commercial real estate in that sense. You know, I'm not trying to get, get you a, a full uh, breakdown on the commercial real estate sector, but it seems like that there's been like a growing narrative around, you know, obviously that the shift to remote work, um, how a lot of uh, these regional banks helped fund, you know, maybe little small mom and pop. Uh, shops uh, purchasing some of these commercial buildings that now have 50% or even less uh, uh, occupancy. And, uh, you know, in a sense, you know, th these uh, big commercial real estate buildings can get swallowed up by, by some of the big players. Um, so is that something that I, I guess a trend that you're kind of, as you're like analyzing some of these, uh, I guess, commercial real estate companies, in a sense, you, you said it yourself, like you're, you're kind of short that, that sector, um, in a sense. So, um, you know, is that something that you're, I guess you're looking towards and that's a reasoning why you're, you're kind of short that sector or, uh, do you think, uh, 
I guess maybe it's just like a short-term little pain in that though, that, you know, maybe the, the mom and pops or the smaller commercial real estate firms will be able to bounce. Uh, so, you know, I think it's got the potential to be epic. Um, you know, it, hopefully it is just a short-term thing, but I think it has the potential to be a lot worse than that. I mean, if you look at the regional banks, you know, we live in a time when, I mean, I can transfer my entire account to JP Morgan in a matter of minutes. You know, so, you know, my first exposure to a bank run was watching It's a Wonderful Life, you know, people coming in in the 30s. It's a whole lot easier to have a run on the bank now. You know, you can have a bank that looks good, be bankrupt the next day. And, you know, if, if I've got an account at a regional bank that I don't need to have at a regional bank, it's not tied to something, I certainly have to do, you know, some thinking, you know, hey, do I want to go over to Chase or JP Morgan or Wells Fargo? Uh, you know, so I, I, I don't think this crisis is over. Uh, you know, whenever you raise interest rates as fast as we did, you know, I, I you know, I, I like sayings and, you know, Warren Buffett saying when the tide goes out, you see you swimming naked. You see, number one, the regulators had no clue. The regulators were fighting the 2008 battle. They were worried about credit risk. What they weren't worried about was duration. And unfortunately, bonds go down for two reasons. One is credit. The other is duration. They didn't see that. You know, the guys managing the bank portfolios didn't see that. I think that's a big problem. And then, yeah, I mean, commercial real estate, all the vacancies, the work from home, Zoom, Teams, all that stuff, I think it's got the potential to be huge. Now, that being said, the easy money has been made. I think, you know, on the short side, it's going, I mean, it has been and it's going to be a lot tougher. You know, that's what I've been telling people reading my newsletter for you know, probably about three weeks now, you know, hey, you got to look for spots to short these things. But it's not like it was, you know, a couple of months ago where you see a little bit of smoke, you go short, and you, you know, you make 20% overnight on a short position. It's going to be a lot harder to do. But I do think this has the potential to be something epic. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I tend to agree. It's, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's the doom and gloom and like the spread of information on, on Twitter or whatnot. But I think that 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 in a sense can make this downfall, whether it's a, you know, a recession, depression or whatever, could make it even worse because, you know, I, as you kind of lined out. Right. I mean, you can essentially like if you see any cracks or, if uh, you know, like Silicon Valley Bank, I forgot what executive tweeted out, but essentially tweeted out that they were looking for investors. So that sent off the red flag to all those people having money in that account. And then, you know, obviously the bank run occurred after that. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, seemingly that that could happen, right? Somebody with a million followers or even a smaller account and, you know, a tweet just kind of catches wind and all these people decide to move money out of one place or another um, can kind of cause some serious consolidation when it comes to like the, the overall banking system. And then you know, that obviously drastically affects um, you know, our, uh, our small businesses and even large businesses that, that might have, uh, you know, some, some regional banking accounts. So, um, yeah, for me, I think like, you know, although the, the spread of information has been good for the overall retail investor and kind of giving, 
you know, the retail investor maybe a leg up and kind of evening the playing field. It seems like the spread of information could lead to or help lead to this uh, this downfall um, of, you know, obviously we've seen the spread of information help when everything's going well and everything's going up, but we've never seen it when things are going bad. Um, so do you kind of, I guess, subscribe to that theory as well that, you know, the potential of this spread of information could make things, I guess, swing more violently in both directions? Yeah, and, and this has been happening for a long time. So when I was growing up, the news was the news. It came out at what, six o'clock and, and 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock, I don't even remember. And they reported the news. There was no spin, no politicalization, no left, no right. Just this happened today, this happened today, and this happened today. Now we've got 24 hour news. We've got spin on everything. We've got right, we've got left, we've got Twitter, and we've now got, you know, this AI stuff. So like, for example, the other day you saw, oh my God, the Pentagon is on fire and the market sold off a little bit. And then it turned out, wait a second, that's an AI generated, you know, image. The Pentagon is fine, but we've got all this stuff bombarding us. And unfortunately, we don't know what's real, what's fake, what's fear mongering. You've got a bunch of people talking their own book, you know, for whatever reason. So certainly you could have a situation where a regional bank is fine and somebody goes on CNBC, Fox, Twitter, and starts talking about problems. And, you know, all of a sudden everybody and their mother is shorting it. And everyone who's got a deposit there is running to take it out and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. That could definitely happen. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate. I, I don't know how to guard against that. You know, you're seeing a lot come out about, hey, we got to ban short selling. I think that is eminently stupid from a, a number of different standpoints. You know, stuff does stuff get manipulated on the short side? Definitely. Does stuff get manipulated on the long side? All the time. You know, yet recently all these Hong Kong IPOs that go from like one to a thousand and have a market cap bigger than like, you know, Coca-Cola. Yeah, okay, that's manipulated too. I mean, you know, that's just markets. It is what it is. You know, let's look at the structure and see what we can do to try to fix that stuff. The answer is not banning short selling. Yeah, and it seems like there's a lot of chatter around like market manipulation and, and what's kind of going on, especially now with this this spread of information uh, that we've kind of been outlining through this whole talk. Uh, but you know, it is interesting that you you're saying like, hey, you know, markets have been kind of manipulated for for a decent amount of time, right? I mean, we've had well, really, I mean, if you talk about market manipulation, that's been going on forever. Yeah, and so it's it's interesting that you're kind of lining it out now, but it seems like. Now that the retail guy is kind of, uh, I guess, getting a, a leg up, so to speak, or at least like evening the, the playing field and not, um, you know, I guess, uh, as far behind when it comes to the spread of information. Uh, not, not now that they have like, you know, access to more tools that, you know, maybe that the pros only had access to at certain points in time. It's interesting that, that, you know, all of a sudden there's this microscope on this uh, and, you know, the market information or the market manipulation. But I guess that's that's essentially how things go. Right. I mean, once the, the small guy can kind of get get a leg up and the big guys don't. Right. Yeah. I mean, the big guys have been manipulating the market forever. 
I mean, you know, look, look at look at any hedge fund and, you know, and see what they do. And also, you know, you kind of wonder, hedge funds used to have much better performance. When did their performance start to suffer? It started to suffer when Raj Rajaratnam got put in jail and Stevie Cohen almost got put in jail. So you kind of got to wonder about that. You know, what was going on before that and what might not be going on now? So, yeah, when the big guys manipulate the market, nobody cares. But, you know, when you got guys on Twitter posting, hey, this bank has a problem, then the regulators are up in arms. Yeah, 100%. So I'll, I'll wrap it up with this one last question. I, I know we've kind of been beaten around it, but, um, you know, obviously, you know, you lined out like the market isn't exactly – uh, making too much sense right now. But there's the theory around uh, you know, Twitter and kind of in, in other spaces as well that, you know, maybe we'll see like a melt up, right? Like as the market is kind of delusional in a sense, like, you know, unemployment numbers obviously are lagging. So people think that the unemployment isn't as bad. So we're kind of seeing this, uh, you know, the index kind of, uh, you know, melt up throughout the year. And then, you know, the theory is 2024, either we're going to go through some serious QE and they're going to, you know, pull back the reins, uh, or we're going to be in a serious, serious re uh, recession that could eventually lead to a depression. So uh, is it, do you, I guess, subscribe to that theory in a sense, or how do you see this all playing out? So I subscribe to every theory because I think you run into trouble when you say, hey, I think this is what's going to happen and this is how I'm going to invest. So, you know, every morning I come in, see where things are, and I have my game plan for the day. And it's as simple as that. I look at the setups and the setups take me to where we're going. I do think this gets worse before it gets better. Um, it looks like 4,200 is a wall. Do we break through it? Maybe we do. I mean, maybe this whole AI thing, maybe the, you know, the debt ceiling getting resolved breaks us through and we make a new trading range. I think you've got to be ready for everything. But if you said, you know, hey, Matt, you need to have an opinion. My opinion is it gets worse before it gets better. And, you know, we have a point where maybe we don't retest the lows. Uh, but, you know, we, we start looking like we're going to retest the lows. And really everything shakes out before, you know, we see things start to get better again. That, that's my thought. But again, you've got to be prepared for every eventuality. I mean, it breaks my heart reading, you know, th these, these smart people, perma bears on Twitter, just, you know, selling short every rip and every once in a while it works. But then you get a day like, you know, yesterday and today where, you know, these guys have to be losing tons and tons of money. And, you know, it just, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, definitely. But uh, Matthew, you've been you've been so gracious with your time. So I really appreciate you coming on and discussing the markets with me here. Um, but for those who don't know, why don't you tell them what you got going on and where they can find you? Yeah. So, you know, we've got a couple of websites. Uh, Tuttlecap.com is our main site. You know, our Kramer ETFs or KramerETFs.com. You know, we have a, a daily newsletter that we send out with our watch list and ideas. We also every night send out our, our trades on the Kramer ETFs. You know, all that stuff's free if you want to sign up. Um, I do. I try to do a lot on Twitter. Sometimes I get busy and I don't. But, you know, my, my handle's at Tuttle Capital. So, you know, and I do troll Jim Kramer a lot. Some people find that funny. 
Um, you know, who knows? But, uh, you know, so go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter if you want. Yeah, for sure. And I'll plug all those in the show notes so everybody check it, check it out. And yeah, Matt, thanks so much, man. All right. Thanks for having me.